Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. I want to thank Adam for speaking last week. He gave me a chance to go up to New Jersey, see some relatives for Thanksgiving. Got a sinus infection while I was up there, so that's wonderful. You know, there's a parting gift from the Northeast. Anyway, we are wrapping up this series that we are calling Detox. And what we've been doing for the last four weeks is we've been putting a spotlight on the impurities, if you will, in our lives. Kind of the junk, the behaviors, the mindsets. In week one, we talked about our toxic thought life. Week two, we talked about toxic bitterness. Last week, Adam talked about toxic relationships. Um, these things in our lives that are just toxic and preventing us from being our best selves, preventing us from being the people that God has called us to be. And our goal every week is to find out what God has to say about these things, to use his words to cleanse our lives, to detox, if you will, and to start fresh. So my old boss and old pastor for many, many years would wrap up every single sermon almost without fail by saying something along the lines of Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And if you went to First Baptist here, you've probably heard this before. It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, he would say. In other words, God didn't send his son into this world to live a sinless life, to bear the penalties of our sins, to be beaten and crucified, to come back to life just to make us religious, to indoctrinate us into a list of rules and, and regulations. No, God sent Jesus to set us free from all of that. He sent Jesus to reveal himself to us so that we could know him, we could be transformed by him, and we could have a relationship with him. Jesus defines eternal life as this. He says, now, this is eternal life. Get out your pens and papers. That they, that means you all, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is Christianity in Jesus' own words. It is having a personal relationship with him and God the Father, which is precisely why my old pastor would constantly stress, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Why do I bring this up? Well, as Adam said today, I want to wrap up by talking about toxic religion. Now, toxic religion is any practice or mindset or belief that gets in the way of the purity of that gospel message. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, uh, the road to uh, hell is paved with good intentions. You've heard this one. That, in my opinion, is toxic religion. On the surface, looks good. Looks right, feels holy. But ultimately, it is destructive and, and distorts the message of Christ and honestly can prevent us from truly knowing him. So Paul, this guy who wrote, honestly, almost half the New Testament, went to war over toxic religion. I want to show you a powerful example of this found in the book of Galatians. Now, before we get into it, let me give you a little bit of context as to what you're going to see. So Paul would travel the Mediterranean rim planting churches. So he would go into a town he would generally find a local temple or synagogue. He would start to preach Christ. He would make converts, and then he would start a church. He would plant a church. And from the local people there, he would raise up leaders. He would empower them, and then he would move on to the next town to do it all over again. One such church that he created was in Galatia. That was a great church. However, a group of people kind of infiltrated this church known as Judaizers. Judaizers were Jewish Christians. And I kind of put an asterisk next to Christians because 
what you're going to see today, and if you were to read the whole book, they're not, I don't know if they were actually Christians based on what they believed. But these Judaizers struggled with letting go of the old Jewish ways, specifically the law of Moses. And you're going to hear that term law a lot today, law rules and regulations. Okay? They believed in Jesus. They really did. But they had a hard time squaring Jesus' teachings with their Jewish faith. So, for example, Paul comes into a town or he comes into Galatia uh, in this instance, and he teaches people that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, he would come in and he would say, hey, I'm Jewish just like you guys. I grew up thinking that the law of Moses, all those rules, all those regulations made me right with God, but it doesn't. Only faith in Jesus makes you right with God. But the Judaizers, they didn't buy that. Instead, they believed that if you wanted to be made right with God, you actually needed Jesus plus the law. In essence, if you wanted to become a Christian, you actually had to become Jewish first. And that's a problem if you're a Gentile. A Gentile is anybody in the world who is not a Christian. So if you're a Gentile man and you wanted to become a Christian, that meant you had to get circumcised. And that's a big ask, okay? I mean, honestly, I have a hard enough time getting grown men to be baptized. Imagine if I was like, hey, you want to be a Christian? Okay, pray this prayer. <laughs> Drop trow. We're about to make you right with God. No, you wouldn't line up for that necessarily. I mean, some of you might. I don't really know. But that's a problem. Paul recognized, like, this is, this is like a little bit of an issue we got going on in this church. And he knew if this toxic religion took root, it could absolutely derail this brand new Jesus movement. So here's what he wrote to these Galatians. He said, I am shocked, blown away, that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. I can't believe what I'm hearing, he says. Like, I literally just left you guys like last Tuesday, and things are already going off the rail. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. Now, the reason good news is capitalized is he's referring to the gospel. Gospel actually means good news. You're following something that pretends to be the gospel of Jesus, but it is not the gospel of Jesus. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Other translations say pervert the truth, which means to corrupt, to distort, or to poison. So here's what's going on. These Judaizers were taking the purity of the gospel and they were poisoning it with religion. It was no longer just about Jesus. Now it's Jesus plus something else. That is toxic religion. And all of us, if we're not careful, can fall victim to it. What I want to do is I want to show you two of the most common elements that you see in toxic religion. The first element kind of always see is that toxic religion focuses on the external, not the internal. It's an outward expression rather than an inward sort of heart transformation. It's, look at how I perform. It is our attempt, whether we realize it or not, to kind of actively close the gap between God and us. And when we do that, we actually reduce Christianity to a list of rules. We take what was supposed to be this, this relationship built on grace and we reduce it to a bunch of do's and don'ts. And religious people love rules. Oh, they love them. Eat them up. 
can't get enough of them, right? And Jesus spent almost his entire earthly ministry dealing with religious people who loved rules. They were called Pharisees. Have you heard this term before? So Pharisees are kind of painted to be the bad guys of the Bible. And some of them were, in fact, bad guys. The truth is, really, as a group, they were just lost. They just didn't get it yet. Now, Pharisees were a sect of Judaism, okay? So in Christianity, you've got Catholics, and you've got Protestants, and then you kind of got Methodists and Lutherans and all that kind of stuff over here. Those are sects. So Pharisee was just a sect of Judaism, and they were considered to be the most religious of all the sects. Not only did they obey the Ten Commandments, they also obeyed 613 additional laws. They had these laws memorized. They would do the best they could to live out every single one of these laws. And the problem was, it was just an external faith. No matter what they were doing, it wasn't really changing their heart. And Jesus despised that type of religion. Here's what he said to those Pharisees. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? That's ominous. That's a a reality check. You think you and God are good, he'd say, because of your religiosity? What sorrow awaits you? Then he blasts them. Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed, and self-indulgence. Their spirituality was just one big show. Okay, we know from reading scripture that they would stand on the street and they would make these big, long, fancy prayers for everybody to hear. When they gave money at church, they made a big production of it so you knew exactly how much money they were giving. Um, They wore big, fancy religious robes. They were careful not to associate with the wrong kinds of people. It was all show and no go. They were just concerned with making themselves look holy. And Jesus hated it. And I hate it too. In fact, Downtown Harbor Church was started in part as a reaction to kind of outward religion. One of the things that I've noticed, and and maybe you've noticed this as well, is that church, I believe, makes Christians do phony things. Okay? Not at this church, but other church. All right? I've noticed, maybe you've seen this, I, I would see Christians walk through the doors of a church and magically become completely different people. (laughs) Like the guy you saw on a Saturday night was totally different from the guy you saw on a Sunday morning. He would dress differently, he would act differently, he would speak differently. All of a sudden he's got a brand new vocabulary that he's using, why? To look religious, putting on a show, let others know how spiritual they are. And in my opinion, that's toxic. That's toxic religious behavior and it drives people away which is why one of the founding tenets of DHC is authenticity. It is right on our landing page of our website. We were going to actively strip away the outward trappings of religion in favor of being ourselves, warts and and all. Why? Well, because we believe a changed heart is what attracts people to Jesus, not outward religiosity. See, toxic religion focuses on the external rather than the internal and it does tremendous damage. Second thing we see from toxic religion is that I believe it promotes spiritual pride. It makes us feel like we're better than everybody else, and Jesus despised that. In fact, one day he told a story to the benefit of those who were proud of their religion, and here's what he said. Luke 18. 
To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And a parable is a fictional story that uh, he would make up to tell a real truth. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So let's pause. We meet the two characters in our story. You got the Pharisee, who we all know now is self-righteous. They were super religious. They thought they were better than everybody else because of how religious they were. And then you got the tax collectors. So let's talk for a moment about tax collectors. At this point in time, it's about 30 AD, tax collectors were seen as the most despised people group in all of Israel. And they weren't despised because they collected taxes. I mean, that didn't make them popular. But that's not why they were despised. They were despised because they were seen as traitors to their own people. One of the most famous tax collectors in all of Scripture was actually one of Jesus' 12 disciples. His name was Matthew. If you've watched The Chosen, this is Matthew. And by the way, if you haven't watched The Chosen yet, you need to watch The Chosen, okay? Listen, you know I'm a Netflix guy. This isn't. This will, this will compete with any Netflix series. This is not like a cheesy Kirk Cameron kind of a thing. It's incredible. Go watch it today. Anyway, if you've seen the show, you know that the other disciples really didn't like Matthew at first. They didn't trust him. How come? So when Rome would conquer a territory, and in this instance, let's, it's, it's Israel, okay, what they would do is they would take bids from the locals, from the natives, for the job of tax collector. So somebody would say, okay, hey, Rome, I, can, I, can, I think I can get you 9% tax. Somebody else would say, well, I'm, that's pretty good, but I'm, I can get you 10%. Another still might say, I know I can get you 14%. Matthew, who was Jewish, competed for this job, and he won it. But that's not really the bad part. You see, as long as Matthew, or any other tax collector for that moment, collected what he promised, Rome would turn a blind eye to any extra tax that they might collect. So you may owe 1000 bucks to Rome, but Matthew here, or a tax collector, is going to squeeze you for 1200 pocket the extra. So he was stealing from his own people. Now with that in mind, let's go back to the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now you really see what's going on in this parable. You have the supposed the best of the best, the holiest of people, and you got the worst of the worst. Jesus continues. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Then he gives God his spiritual CV, his religious resume. He says, Lord, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, Lord God, God, here is why I am better than those other people. This right here is classic spiritual pride. And the problem with spiritual pride is that it's almost impossible to see in the mirror because it makes you feel so right. It makes you feel so holy. I mean, look, look, at all, look at all the right things that I'm doing, but it causes you to think everybody else is wrong. It causes you to look down on others. Now, here's the thing. You may have never prayed a prayer like that Pharisee, but many of us are prideful of our spiritual resumes. For example, we, th we think to ourselves, well, we never miss church. We tithe. We don't curse. We only listen to Christian music, right? And we vote for the right people, whoever that might be, okay? That's, between, <laughs> that's up to you to decide. But here's the thing. None of these things is bad. 
They're all good things. But if we're not careful, these good things can start to puff us up. We could become prideful of our spiritual accomplishments. And because spiritual pride is almost impossible to see in the mirror, we unknowingly start to judge others who aren't as spiritual as we. We look down on them. And it doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end of that. And I know because I have been on the receiving end of that. I once found myself in the company of, of spiritually prideful Christians. And I was made to feel bad about myself. Because my spirituality, you know, didn't stack up to theirs. Right? I didn't listen to Christian music. It wasn't really my thing. Uh, I hung out with the wrong kinds of people. One time, somebody actually told me, hey, because you don't speak in tongues, your prayer life is like having a Ferrari in the driveway without the keys. Huh? That made me feel good. Okay? Honestly, if, I, if my faith weren't strong, thank God, I probably would have walked away from church. See, the truth is no one is drawn to Jesus because of moral superiority. It's not an attractive quality. In fact, I would argue it drives people away from God. It's toxic, it poisons, it corrupts, it destroys, and it needs to go. Jesus continues the parable. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, watch as Jesus brings this home. And let me just tell you this. His original audience was shocked by this ending. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This despised tax collector who stole from his people was made right with God, rather than the self-righteous, hypocritical, hypercritical, religious Pharisee. Jesus did not come to make us religious. He came to set us free from it. He came to give us life and life to the fullest. So here at DHC, we are not going to embrace toxic religion. Instead, we're going to embrace the purity of the gospel. Like we learned earlier, gospel literally means good news. It is the best news you will ever hear in your entire life. And to make sure you never become a victim to the bondage of toxic religion, I want you to hear as clearly as I can present it, the purity of the gospel. I want you to know why Jesus came, just in case, on the off chance, your perception of Christianity may have been corrupted at some point by toxic religion. Here's what Paul says in Romans 3. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And here comes the good news. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this, right? If you never come back to church ever again, I just want you to hear this. Paul says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That is the gospel. Let me break it down into easy to digest pieces. First thing we learn is this. You cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Now remember, Paul's speaking to Jewish folks who thought the law, the law of Moses, all the rules, all the regulations, made them right with God. But Paul, who was a Jew, 
who was a Pharisee also, says, hey, you can't work your way to God. You can't good person your way to God. Religion says you can please God with external works. Religion says you, you can be made right with God by what you do and what you don't do. That's what religion says. That is not what Jesus says. Secondly, the purpose of the law is to show you your need of a savior. Remember what Paul said in verse 20. He said the law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's what it does. So forget about the 613 additional laws those Pharisees followed. I want us to just focus on the Ten Commandments, which is we as Christians, and many of us are Christians, are supposed to follow. So let me ask you this, and I would love if you are so bold to raise your hand, okay? How many of you, show of hands, have ever lied? Okay, okay. yikes. Okay, <clears throat> put them down. Married people, don't raise your hand for this one, okay? <laughs> have you ever, mm, I don't know, glanced at another man or woman and thought they were hot? Okay, that's adultery according to Jesus. You ever gotten mad at somebody else? According to Jesus, you've murdered that person in your heart. You ever been jealous of somebody else's car, house, hair, vacation? That's envy. So I don't really care how good a person you think you are. The law has just shown you that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And lastly, and this is the best news ever, right standing with God comes in faith in Jesus alone. Let me restate this in a way that you will never forget it. If you want to be made right with God, your heavenly father, it is Jesus plus nothing. Hard stop. That's it. So to those Judaizers, Paul would say, hey, it is not Jesus plus circumcision. To us, he might say, it is not Jesus plus church membership. It is not Jesus plus how much money you give. It is not Jesus plus, you know, how you behave. It is not Jesus plus your parents were Christians. Righteousness, okay, right standing with God comes from faith alone in Jesus Christ. Paul says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And the better news is, he says that this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So, Everyone. Does that include doubters? Does everyone include a bad sinner? I'm talking like a bad sinner. Does it include somebody who really messed up? Does everyone include somebody who grew up going to church? Does it include somebody who did not grow up going to church? Yeah. Everyone. Okay? Everyone includes every single person by race, gender, whatever, who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they haven't done, will be totally and completely forgiven and made right with their Heavenly Father. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at this church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And when I look at today's message, when I look at what Paul has for us and what Jesus has for us. I think there's a warning, and I also think there's an invitation. So let me start with the invitation. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, famously wrote in John 3:16. He said, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. And today you saw that Jesus defines eternal life as a relationship with himself and the Father. Here's the problem. For some of you here today, or watching online, or listening in the future, you may have been so hurt by toxic religion, by toxic Christians, by hypocritical Christians, by hypercritical Christians, maybe even by the church itself, that you just have a very hard time believing that God loved the world. Because when it comes to Christians and when it comes to Christianity, you haven't exactly experienced love. And because of the actions of some Christians, you have put a wall up to Christ. And I don't blame you. Honestly, I'm sure if we heard your story, we would go, yeah, that, that's not good. But my prayer is, and will be, that God would touch your heart, and with his help, you would be able to separate the actions of some imperfect Christians from the love of a perfect God who loves you and wants nothing from you other than your heart. According to John, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. It's, it's, Lord, I'm like that tax collector, kind of, okay? I know I got a lot going on, and I am far from perfect. And I don't even know if I fully understand who you are, but I believe I need you in my life, Jesus. The invitation is waiting. Jesus is not asking you to clean up your life before you come to him. He wants you just as you are. So would you say yes? Would, would you be willing to enter into a personal relationship with your Savior, one that starts today and goes into eternity? Now, for the Christians in the room, I believe today was a warning for us, really more of like a reality check. Those Pharisees, as you saw, they thought they were good with God. Jesus says, mm, what sorrow awaits? Now, if you've said yes to Jesus, the good news is no sorrow awaits you. But today does give us the opportunity to do a little bit of a spiritual inventory. Because our faith in Jesus is supposed to be based on Jesus alone, Jesus, plus nothing. So my question is, have you, knowingly or unknowingly, added anything else to this equation? Do, do you proclaim the gospel with your mouth, but your actions, kind of the way that you live and operate, seems to be proclaiming a different gospel altogether? For example, are you actively doing things in your life in order to make God love you more? Do you feel that when you mess up, God loves you less? Remember, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And thank God there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. It is Jesus plus nothing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's hard to articulate how thankful we are that you love this world so much that in spite of who we are and what we've done and what we would do, that you sent your son into this world to take our penalty of sin, 
to die on our behalf that we may live eternally with you, that we might have a relationship with your son Jesus and you, our Heavenly Father. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know your son personally, I pray that you would touch them in a powerful way today, that you would prick their heart, that you would draw them to you, that they may know that there is a God who loves them, who has wonderful plans for their lives, who can change their circumstances, who is writing a bigger story and is just waiting for us to say yes to him. God, give us the strength to say yes. Give us the strength to lower our walls. And God, for those of us in this room who have already said yes to your son, I pray that, that today you would help us to do a little bit of a spiritual inventory to see if any form of toxic religion may have crept in and put down roots. Help us to remember, Lord, that our relationship with you is based on nothing else but Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty, powerful, and saving name. Amen.